But actually, a lot of Asian elders, they live in poverty and live alone. They didn't get much attention and people just totally neglected such group. If you wander around Chinatown or Flushing, you see a lot of elders. I mean, of course they socialize, or but there are still a lot of people. They don't walk out and they, they live alone and they have no one to talk to. It's far from like, you know, the narrative that you see. Good morning, this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda-Salgado. On January 21st, news quickly spread of a mass shooting in Monterey Park during Lunar New Year celebrations. Then, just two days later, another mass shooting left seven dead in Half Moon Bay. The vast majority of victims in both shootings were Asian. Many feared this was another example of violence directed towards Asian Americans amidst a surge in anti-Asian hate crimes. But we soon learned that both shooters were elderly Asian men. Now, there are more questions than answers. Today, Epicenter's founder and publisher, S. Mitra Kalita, talks to World Journal reporter Yian Zheng about what she's learned while writing for the largest Chinese-language newspaper in the United States. Yeah, so I'm a reporter at World Journal, and I used to be based in Manhattan. Now I am based in Queens. And my daily task is to first, you know, your editor will assign you to several events, rallies to cover, and you go. And then, um, you know, if you're in Manhattan, you cover whatever happens in there. And sometimes uh, you do feature story, profile stories, or investigative stories. Because we have World Journal, a daily newspaper, but also we have a magazine called World Weekly every Sunday. And that you can uh, write more in depth or, you know, like not time sensitive stories. But we have reporters in Chicago, in uh, Los Angeles, in San Francisco, and in Washington, D.C. And yeah, for example, for this, uh, these two mass shootings, what I know is in Los Angeles, all the reporters right now in there, all of them were assigned to cover, you know, the Monterey Park shooting. And um, they had a pretty tough week, I guess. Yeah. For Monterey Park, have you been doing any coverage on that? Or do you uh, mostly just stick to coverage of New York City? Um, so, for example, it still has somewhat some something to do with New York City. So I cover for the last week, I cover like a vigil, candlelight vigil that took place in Sunnyside, Queens. And, you know, just to talk about how New Yorkers, Asian Americans in New York feel about the incident, why they participated in it. And also we have Grace Men, the Congresswoman representing, you know, Queens, that sort of thing, because it's still somewhat uh, New York related. I, you know, it's interesting because you've been covering New York City since 2019. So I, I would imagine a big part of your coverage has been the rise in hate crimes against Asians. Right, right. Yes. I'm just wondering when you heard about what happened in Monterey Park, um, did you think, oh, this might be an anti-Asian crime. And then when you heard that the shooter was Asian, did your mind change? Or tell me a little bit about how you reacted to these events. Yeah, first uh, you you would wonder like if it is hate anti-Asian hate crime, you know, that that's like the first idea that's 
cross your mind. Um, after I heard the shooter is an elderly male Asian, you can't help but, you know, just wonder like his, his motive or, you know, like what is, what is his relationship with um, this, this place? And um, it, it will change. Yeah, I, I think it will change the, the narrative and your mindset a little bit, but still like you want to know more. And also the narrative shifted, you know, from if it is anti-Asian hate crime to, you know, the attention of the Asian elderly, like their mental health issues or their social isolation. And also for the Half Moon Bay, um, just to investigate like how the unjust and unfair um, situation for the labor worker, especially immigrant at um, the farm. So it's almost like an anthropology approach. You know, you want to know more about the background story and put into the social, economic and um, other dynamic. I think that's really well put. I mean, Epicenter in Queens, we've been struck uh, through our work in COVID how many Asian seniors are isolated and seemingly kind of shut off from the rest of the world. And I, I just wonder if that's been a theme of coverage for you, if you have any thoughts on that. Like the social isolation for Asian elderly? Yeah, I uh, we wrote a couple of articles about it. I also wrote a feature story about it. The, the, fe the topic of the feature story is about YouTubers. But one of the chapters saying like during the pandemic, even they're really like young YouTubers, but their biggest cohort of readers, like so subscribers that are all like elders and they don't have anything to do. Um, you know, they just stay at home and watch those YouTubers just wandering around the Chinese or Asian communities in Flushing, Queens, um, Sunset Park, Brooklyn, just to see, uh, you know, they, they just miss, I, I think, you know, the hustle bustling atmosphere or they, but they don't have friends and they cannot get out during the pandemic. And also like the Asian nonprofit organization, they did a lot of research about you know the social isolation issues i think the status the data has it that among all the immigrant immigrant communities asian elderly they are the poorest surprisingly and also they face the most severe social isolation issues so yeah i mean they did a lot of already a lot of research so yeah how do you think um asians end up elderly and isolated in new york First, they don't speak English. And also, like, uh, we have the model minority myth. But actually, a lot of Asian elders, they live in poverty and live alone. But they didn't get much attention. And people just totally neglected such group. But, you know, if you wander around Chinatown or Flushing, you see a lot of elders I mean, of course they socialize or, but there are still a lot of people, they don't walk out and they, they live alone and they have no one to talk to. It's really like um, far from like, you know, the narrative that you see. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'm wondering if there's any correlation between the loneliness you're seeing in Asian seniors here and what we've seen in California. And it might just be too soon 
to tell. I don't, I don't want to make an instant connection. I just wondered if you had thoughts on that. I, I just, I read our reportage. I think it's quite similar. And also uh, Montreal Park, you can do the comparison. It's like um, if Chinese people uh, go to Amer uh, United States and they don't have any immigration status, it's like their first stop in the West Coast. So it's really like a flushing in the East Coast. It's kind of equivalent. My question for you on the hate crimes, I mean, you've covered COVID, you've covered Americans' reactions to COVID and the ensuing both discrimination as well as a number of assaults on Asian Americans. Would you say this is a community that's still afraid? Yeah, we are pretty still, we have fears and we are afraid. And um, and as you can see, the public safety in New York City is still deteriorating, especially in Flushing. Like every day, there there are just so many crimes, grand larceny, uh, robbery, just targeting these Asian American small business owners. If you read our like local page, like New York section, every day we have like a whole page of just you know crime happening in Chinatown or um, in Flushing. You've seen an increase in that in the frequency of crime. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. And everyone has this uh, consensus. That's why uh, for the race of uh, New York governor, Asian American community predominantly voted for uh, Lee Zeldin because simply his message is matched with the Asian American. Yeah. I just read a report on this and we've, we've covered this, of course, um, with the Latino and Asian kind of move more to the right. One issue we've grappled with at Epicenter is a lot of immigrants who are our audience feel like they came to the U.S. the quote unquote right way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they feel like they've done the right things. And now mm -hmm. there are either migrants coming in or a surge in crime or, you know, certain factors that feel that you can blame immigrants for. One thing we've tried to do is to give our community a history lesson on, you know, the right way mm -hmm. actually takes on different forms in the course of history. Once upon a time, it was much easier to get into this country than it is today, right, legally. And so we've tried to use that language to educate. That's actually something that I'm struggling with because I, I just feel like for a lot of controversial issues, if you if you interview our community leaders or those people in power, the, the, the take they have is really, I wouldn't say it's not like politically correct, but it's really like right leaning and sometimes hurts the grassroots that, you know, these people are hard to reach. And um, if you ask them an issue, they, they wouldn't even um, articulate it. Like maybe they only speak dialects. So these people who are easy to give you a quote or it's very easy for you to reach out they actually I don't think they can represent you know the silent majority of our community but that's something I'm struggling with. I think you raise a really important point also because you mentioned that some of these seniors are watching YouTube and mm -hmm. other um, sites that definitely have a point of view on the world right and World Journal is essentially either competing against that or existing alongside it. And obviously you're a journalistic outlet, right? And I, I, I don't know if that's something that you've also given some thought. 
Well, I think I actually very I'm very thankful to the existence of these YouTubers because I think they are more representative of you know the grassroots or elderly. I just give you an example. For example, you know the shelter issues like inflation. They they try to like build a shelter for like homeless females that has a single child. That that is the use of the shelter. But the majority of the people on the surface seem to be against it uh, with, you know, uh, worries of public safety. But YouTubers, these YouTubers, they are strongly advocating for it because every day they walk around the neighborhood and they talk with these homeless people and they, they see like the need of the shelters in the community. And I guess video and talking to the audience on the street gives them a little bit more of a ground view and the ability ability to say right. this is what the community needs right now. Yeah. Yeah, and there's been a rethinking of our identity as only working, right? Because of COVID, last few years, a lot of people have had an existential crisis and rethought the relationship of work in their lives. You see this across the economy where people say, you know, gosh, I wasted so much of my life just trying to work and here we are just trying to stay alive or people saying, I want a job that has more purpose as opposed to just a paycheck. Do you hear that in the Asian communities that you're covering? I mean, my Asian communities, I think most of them don't have the luxury to reflect on the meaning of life since they struggle, you know, with the basic living every day. So no, I, I wouldn't say that, or that's not our focus. I'm sure there were a lot of like Asians that would reflect on it like everyone else does, but not the focus of, of our coverage, I would say. How about yourself? You're somebody who came here for grad school, you're working now. Tell me a little bit about how both the coverage of these issues have you internalized it? What do you see your future in America as? And, and relate that a little bit to your community work with World Journal. I wouldn't say I internalized it. It's actually, you have to desensitize it. Because I have, for example, I have to take the subway every day uh, to work, to go to the events. If I, I think too hard on these increasing crime, I, I wouldn't even go out, you know? So you have to desensitize it just thinking you know it's it's there it's happening but uh, you do what you can do you know you raise the awareness but still every day you have to do your job but sometimes I occasionally also accept you know the interview like I, I just feel the attention you know of the Asian American communities overall is yeah people do pay more attention to our communities because of these crimes or, you know, these shootings. I'm not sure if it, I, I think overall it's, it's good. Right. Do you yeah. feel a connection to the community? Do they um, email you after you write your stories? Is there kind of a back and forth? To me, feels evident that the work you're doing is needed work for these communities as well. Yeah, that, that is a moment you feel, yeah, like you, you have an impact, even it's, it's a small one. Do you think that the Asian hate crimes have made people rethink living in America? No, I, I think they, well, they will be more alerted, vigilant, but I don't think any of them are like considered leaving America. 
only for these Chinese like international students who temporarily stay, study in the U.S. You can see the decline of these graduate students once they graduate. It's more likely they will just go back to China. But for those who already stay in the States for a while and already work there, none of them I talk to, you know, consider moving out of the country. While we don't know exactly what motivated the mass shootings in Monterey Park or Half Moon Bay, we do know that loneliness is rising across America, including right here in New York City. It's more important than ever to connect with your neighbors, check in with your friends, and find ways to bring people together. At Epicenter, that's a core part of our mission. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Kravika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.